Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. It's Christmas time. Uh, I missed you last week. I was doing my show, um, and I didn't even I didn't even tweet to say I'm not doing a podcast. I just my head was just completely full of Janice, Janice and Frank, and trying to organise it all and stuff. Um, so I didn't do a show, and I thought that this week I'm going to use this time to kind of um, reflect a wee bit on the show and uh, think about what what it all meant, I suppose, um, and tell you a wee bit about the process, because um, people ask, you know, like, how how do you go about it, how do you write it, um, you know, where do you come up with all blah, 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 those kind of questions, I'd love to try and answer some of those. Um, for myself as well, and I, I realised today that I have this, this space where I I can reflect and I can think about stuff uh, whenever I want, and uh, that's a privilege, and I'm very lucky to have that. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll just use it for that. I need to do an episode anyway. Why not just talk about what's going on artistically in my life? And then I started to realise that, in fact, as time goes on, I should probably allow the show to be a bit more of that when it needs to be that. Um, because one of the biggest stresses about doing this show. And I hate that there's a stress involved. I don't want it to be stressful, of course. Um, one of the biggest stresses is finding and booking guests. And not just booking them, but then seeing that through to the point where they actually get here and we sit down and we do an interview. And the interview part is great. The, the talk and is fun and all that stuff. But the organising thing is just, it's not my bag at all. Um, and I get some help with it uh, from Aaron but it's just it's just impractical to to kind of have him do it all and and I need to you know it's it's an artistic decision who comes on the show and when um so that needs to be as much kind of I, I kind of need to take the lead on that anyway I was thinking today I was thinking well why why can't the show have episodes where I talk um it's just evolving I think and We've had a lot of guests, and don't don't worry, we still will. I'm not going to change it to a show where I just talk at you every week. Um, but I think I'm going to let the guest part be just a wee bit more organic, so that if if I'm working with someone and I'd like to talk to them, then I do that. And if I bump into someone or you know I'm in touch with someone anyway, it, it, then they come on the show. And if if I'm not, then I'll just I'll I'll do the show anyway, and I'll talk to you, and I'll and I'll tell you what's happening. I'll talk about what I'm watching, reading, what I'm thinking about, what I'm writing, um, and stuff like that. Maybe that's where we'll be going forward. But I'll tell you what, I do have a tendency to make a decision and then think, right, that's that's what I'll do for the rest of time. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So you go like, that'll work for today. I know I'll just do that every day. It's like I, if I can't go for a walk without thinking, okay, so if I just do this once a day then I'm going to be fit as a fiddle. I can't just have the walk in the moment, you know, and that's the same with this. Um, so yeah, today that's what I'm doing. I'm talking to you on my own and I'm happy with it. Um, so I shouldn't make any massive proclamations about what's going to happen next. But suffice to say that I want things to be just a bit more organic and I want to take some of the pressure off myself about this show. Um, I do still want to do it weekly because I think that's important. Any suggestions about that would be would be gratefully received. Um, where you think we can go, any little changes we can make, or you know, thoughts about how we proceed. I'd love that. So yeah, get in touch with me through the usual channels. Give me a wee email, brian at puttingittogethercast.com or just uh, drop me a line on social media anytime. And about anything else, you know, t- people do get in touch for 
as I say, little bits of advice and uh, and just to tell me what they're up to and stuff like that. And I love that. So keep that coming as well. So um, here we are in the, in the week between Christmas and New Year. And um, I mean, one of the things I should address, first of all, is that I'm amazed and delighted that, that my show actually happened. Because for a long time before it, and particularly right up to the wire, in the couple of days leading up to it happening... There was a. It felt like a very strong chance that it wouldn't. Um, so even just to get to this point and to be able to say it happened is feels huge to me. So I'm really glad about that. Um, and if it had been a bigger production and had more moving parts, more cast members, for example, there's more chance that it would have come tumbling down. Um, we managed to avoid any COVID scares and the people who were well enough, who didn't have symptoms and so on, came to see it, and the people who couldn't, didn't, and that was sad, um, but I've tried to make up for it as much as I can, we've had a really high quality film uh, made of it, not a film, you know what I mean, we've had it shot um, in, in a really nice way, and it's about to go online, and it's going to be free for, for everyone, uh, because there's loads of people who, who bought tickets and didn't manage to sell them on, couldn't get refunds, and just said, I'm really sorry, I can't make it, I'm not looking for any money, which was generous as well, because um, obviously that goes to paying for the show and paying to people who were involved. So the the online version, the filmed version is going to be online really soon. And um, I hope that in some way makes up for the people who couldn't see it. Anyway, to tell you a bit about it, uh, as I said, I'm amazed that it happened. But to go back to the beginning, um, as you probably know, I do these, these comedy characters, Janice and Frank, who are a married couple. And of course, don't appear in the same scenes together because I play both of them. And they started out as these wee talking head videos um, during lockdown, way, way, way back. Um, and since then, it's just kind of grown arms and legs, and I've done it more and more, uh, and had a bit of a following, grown up around it, stuff like that. So it's interesting because I I don't want to be internet famous. I mean, I don't want to be famous, but um, the aim wasn't to, to get loads of followers just to have loads of followers. The aim really for me is the more followers I have, the more people would come and see a live show. And I only realised that when I was sitting in the dressing room before maybe the second show, I thought, this is all, this is what I wanted. All that online stuff has just built to this point. Um, which shows me that I've, that my core kind of value system and artistic sensitivity has never really changed um, in the sense that no matter what it is I'm doing, I kind of am always going towards trying to put it on a stage or trying to be on a stage as a result of it. And that's what I did. So it did feel like a kind of a um, a bookend or a kind of a, a, a nice, not finisher, but um, an achievement, a milestone to finally put these characters on stage. Because until they existed on a stage, then they did exist. But um, that's the ultimate existence that they can have in my mind is for them to be on stage in a play. I also wanted to write a play that would stand alone, um, hopefully, to people who weren't familiar with the other stuff. Um, although it, there weren't many of those people in the audience, unless people brought friends and family with them, I would imagine they probably showed them the videos in advance and said, we're going to go see this guy. It was mostly people who really knew the stuff and were big fans. But anyway... A couple of people did see it before we opened, um, people that were hanging around National Theatre Scotland where we were rehearsing and my thanks goes to them and Jackie Wiley for giving us uh, that space and helping us with it. A couple of people came to see a, a run of it just to give us some notes and just so that we could have an audience the week before we opened and um, 
none of those people had seen any of the videos online, so didn't have any idea of what that was about. And they seemed to they seemed to get it, which was what more could I ask for, really? So so my ambition that it stood on its own as a play, you know, came true. That was great because I wanted it to not be um, a sketch show. Not that there's anything wrong with a sketch show. I wanted it to be a play um, with a narrative and um, with some journey for these characters to take and some some heart and some meaning and some feeling towards the end. You know, in, in a very simple way, that's kind of what I like to do as a writer is go lots of laughs, um, heartwarming stuff and, and, and a bit of a bit of a journey, a bit of a feeling, um, a bit of a payoff at the end, something, you know, and go out on a bit of a high. If you were to strip it way back. So that's what I tried to do with this. And it seems um, to have worked. Certainly in the sense that people who didn't know about the characters before still got that from watching it. So I thought I would do it as basically a series of monologues. Um, that's the only way you can do it really. Well, I mean, you can you can do scenes where you pretend that the other person is there, but I didn't do that unless I really needed to. I let on that um, device maybe twice in the whole thing. Um Towards the end, when it gets to be that you sort of need them to seem as if they're in the same room together rather than just talking to someone else independently. They never deliver their monologues to each other, if you like. So Janice never, when she's talking out to the audience, we we never, she's never addressing Frank. And the same is true of Frank, he's never addressing Janice. But occasionally towards the end, they'll say a line and look into the the blank space beside them on stage and we know that they're very very briefly interacting with each other just the way things had to be but essentially it's a series of talking heads um and it's it's a, a you know five minutes from janice and then it's five minutes from frank and and it sort of bats back and forward and they have they each had a, an area on stage where the, their stuff happened basically um so people often ask about about how i come up with it and it's it's i think it's scary when you think like if you start to attach labels to yourself it gets for me it gets scarier like writer like I'm the writer of this um don't get me wrong I like it once it's done I like being a writer who has written things but not a writer who's trying to write things um so I never really sat down in front of a blank page and said right okay a play about Janice and Frank what would that be like what I actually did was um when I came up with an idea um, for a for a sketch or for for a topic that they might talk about, if I hadn't done it as a topic on one of the videos on on Instagram or whatever, I just put the record function on my phone and I just talked. And most of those recordings, um, in some form form or another, the content of them made it into the show. Some some amount of it, and they're mostly kind of between about seven and ten minutes long. And each of those. Say if it was 10 minutes, it would probably come to about three or four minutes of stage time in reality because you chop it and so um, you lose a lot and you tighten it and things like that. And then I've written other bits, you know, at the keyboard to fill in gaps, um, to change lines, to, to make it read better or to change little analogies or the way things are delivered. But but the actual content is all really come from me taking on the voice of the character, just talking. And recording it as as I'm talking. Um, so then what I did was I, I took those recordings and I sat down and I typed them out. Word for word. Every every um and ah, every pause. Wrote the whole thing out. Um, in a big, you know, um, 
document. And then I looked at all those bits, at which point I had, at some point I think I had about 10 or 11,000 words and I knew I only needed about seven. Um, so then I tried to make an order out of them. I mean, I deliberately made the the characters talk about things that I knew would work for the show, like Christmas. You know, very simply. Gifts. Do you want anything for Christmas? Those types of things. I got them to... I deliberately made myself talk about those topics so that it would come together. And then, in a kind of another part of my head, I was thinking of a very loose structure. Not a structure, uh, a story, basically, of um, Janice wants her sister to come home from Australia for Christmas and we're not sure if it's going to happen. And at the end, there's some some payoff. Something either goes right or wrong, and she either appears or she doesn't appear, or something happens. Um, so that that kind of there's a journey there for Janice, and Frank is somehow involved in that journey. That was the very loose kind of skeleton structure that I had. Um, but I didn't think about that too much when I was recording these wee bits. I just wrote them all out, and then I would look at the big document and go, right, what are the holes here? How do we how do we get from this bit to this bit? Um, and sometimes it's a sentence, you know, that the person at the end of their piece needs to say that will link, you know, give us the next thought for the other person to start speaking on. But sometimes it's kind of a, right, we need a whole new section here that's about something quite specific, like the sister and the relationship between Janice and the sister. So I would challenge myself and go, right, okay, so we need a bit where Frank talks about Janice and his sister and her sister and what their relationship is like. Um... So I kind of put myself on the spot, don't I? I hit record and I go, right, this is Frank talking. I don't say this, but in my head, here's Frank talking about the sisters. Go. Um, and I sort of don't let myself come out of character. I don't go in back into my own voice and say, no, cut that, or maybe this here. I just keep going as the character, keep rambling <laughs> until stuff comes out. And as I say, then I sit and I type it out and see what I've got. So what you end up with is no shortage of material. And I've got to say, shortage of material is one of my biggest fears, always was. When I was young and started writing things, I was always trying to stretch it out. I always felt as if I didn't have enough. And the reason for that was because I didn't understand dramatic structure. I was just stabbing in the dark with no plan, uh, no idea of, of an arc. So I was just throwing material and going, well, there's not enough. So I'm trying to like... I'm adding extra words to make sentences longer, you know, making people more verbose to try and up the word count, which is completely the wrong way to go about it. So so now that I have this really, really rudimentary grasp of, of how this dramatic structure thing might work, and also because I know these characters really well, I've talked in their voices for about a year and a half now, um, when I give them a topic, they do just start talking. And I don't mean to sound kind of esoteric about it, but they, you know, if I just put the glasses on the end of my nose and start talking on a topic, Janice just some, somehow sort of comes out and her thoughts come out and her her position on things is very clear. So with all that in mind and knowing a bit about the dramatic structure stuff, I never find myself short of material anymore. Or if I do, it's a really easy fix. It's like, well, there's obviously a, a hole in this. There's a bit missing where Janice needs to address this bit. And so I go away and start talking into the recorder again. Um, and that's a great relief. Because like I say, when I was young and started writing, and I mean like, you know, early teens, when I thought I was going to be a writer, you know, when I first saw plays, and I said, I'll be a writer. And I thought that involved, you know, wearing a jacket with elbow patches and, you know, carrying a fountain pen. Um, then I d always worried that I wouldn't have enough, you know. 
Um, and now for that not really to be a concern anymore is, I can't tell you how liberating that feels. And now going into starting writing a new thing, which I will after New Year, um, it just, that part doesn't worry me anymore, which is really good. I know it'll come out somehow and um, and that there'll be enough of it. And it won't be genius, but certainly not at the beginning. Um, but there'll be plenty to work with. And if you've got loads to work with, you can you can chisel away, you know, and that's the thing. Um it's not not having enough is a real is a real worry for me, like I say. Um but if you if you have too much, there's always somewhere to go. And that cutting down process is is I find quite joyous actually, because you go, right, wait a minute, and you have to be ruthless and go, right, well, we've already said that, I think, so we don't need that, we don't need this. And sometimes you have to lose stuff you really like, you know, that's that's hard. You go, that's a good that's kind of a good gag. Or you have to fight for something's position, you know. There's a part in the show about a guy called Barber Billy, which uh, Gary, who directed the show, who I'll, who I'll talk about in a minute, um, we sort of went back and forward about, do we need this Barber Billy thing? And I was going, I really like it. I don't know why. I, well, I know why. Because I thought it was funny and because it was true. It You know, it came from truth. I, I went into a barber shop near where I live and this the guy told me this story and that basically became the, the, the impetus for this Barber Billy section. Um... So because of the truth of it and because I knew I had been there when he told me it for real and of course he wasn't trying to be funny but I was finding it funny. I'm going, I want to transmit that feeling. I want people to be sitting here going, that is weird. This character is odd. But I can see how someone would do that and not think it was funny. You know, someone who's unconsciously funny, this Barber Billy character, has decided to live in his caravan permanently and Frank can't understand why he would do that when he has a perfectly good flat two or three miles away. Now this is true, like I spoke to a barber about this, this is his life and I wasn't laughing in his face but in my, in my head I'm going, this is odd, I like this, I want to bring this oddness to a wider audience and let them enjoy the kind of strangeness of, of people because I love the... I love hearing about strange people or strange decisions they've made or odd things they choose to do with their time or their life. So so I guess I fought for Barbara Billy and, and all the while um Gary's going, Is it but is it do we need it in the show? Is it helping the show? Is it moving things along? And and we toed and froed and I tried to I guess crowbar in some some Christmas references and then some other stuff about that related a bit more to the plot and you have to be careful with that because you, can, you can't just kind of like throw in a sentence and go oh now it's relevant um it has to earn its place but i think the the deeper you get into this process the more you when you know your story and your characters really well then you start to find things that you that you must have put in but you didn't realize you put in this is the the amazing thing about writing or putting something together is is realizing something that's in there already and going oh i didn't even realize i'd done that so you start to if you dig deep enough with something like barbara billy and i know that i'm talking about something you might not understand the reference but it's not important um it's just a scene that, that maybe could have been cut at some point when you start to dig enough or, or you spend enough time with Barbara Billy as a section, at some point you go, oh wait a minute, there is a, there's a bit in there about um, having more having more than you need, for example, right? Barbara Billy's got, he's got a flat, he's got a caravan, and he's got a barber shop. And later on in the play we realise that Frank actually wonders, does he need all that? When, you know, when other people are in need, and this kind of thing. Um, so, you know, if we, if we, I guess if we look deep enough, we start to see, 
there are layers in there that 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 might relate more closely to this plot than we initially realized and what we have to do is tease them out highlight them uh you know get make sure that the right bits ping out and the, and the other bits just sail by um and we we can't forget of course that people they're coming to see a comedy right they definitely are coming for a laugh so we do need to let <laughs> let there be plenty jokes and we don't need to go for every single joke wait a minute does that drive the plot forward we just need to make sure we don't deviate from from some sort of arc for too long this is the th- i think this is the thing and and listen by the way see all this stuff i'm saying this is not a masterclass or anything this is just me talk like opening my mouth and let my belly rumble i'm just processing my own experience here um so <laughs> i hope this is not anyone's listening taking notes going oh so that's how it's done not at all um i mean it might be we don't know but yeah i, I guess in terms of the jokes it's like we go away from you know, either we have a joke that, that is directly um, coming off the back of the plot, or if it's a throwaway or, or, a, or a diversion, that we don't divert for too long, that we don't get diverted for more time than we can afford to, so that we can get back on track. Uh, and c- can we can we deftly kind of go off track and come back on again without it making, uh, without it taking anything away from the bigger, you know, stuff at play? So that's kind of barber billy and 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 the ongoing struggle i mean again you know the other thing is of course it needed cut it ended up being about half the length of how it started and that's fair enough um and you hear frank saying the same things over and over again i mean the trouble is of course that these are characters who in real life would say the same things over and over again um either get get hooked on an idea like I don't know, just to pull it out there, like Noel Edmonds is a pain in the arse on that deal or no deal, right? Just say, for example, a character like your Uncle Frank would probably say that a number of times in one conversation and would probably come back to it the next time you saw him or the time after that. But in terms of theatre, we have to kind of cheat some of that, don't we? We have to go, okay, so we've heard that. And we understand that that's the type of thing that Frank would say, but we don't necessarily have to, just because he might in real life, if he existed, repeat it. We don't have to allow him to. So we sort of cheat, don't we? We present a version of him, um, and we present the version of him that serves the dramatic structure. Now, if <laughs> anybody who saw the show, maybe who doesn't normally listen to this podcast, will be listening to this going, really, you thought about it that much? I mean, it was just a laugh, right? <laughs> And it was, you know. Um, and in a lot of ways, I didn't think about this stuff explicitly, but that's what I mean. Sometimes you look and then you realise after the fact that the, the stuff was in there or that you were that you were putting things in place and you didn't know at the time that you were. And it's when you look back, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, you look back and you go, okay, so the it was all clear, you know. And that's why I've, I've decided to sit down today and talk about it. You know, for myself as well, just to go, hmm, um, to process it a wee bit. So get on to to get on to Gary, who who directed the show. Gary McNair is is a great pal of mine. I mean, you all know who that is, probably. Um, and I thought, who else? Who else would be the person to direct this? Because I mean, I didn't need or want someone to look at the script and then treat it like um, an opus, an opera that had to be slavishly you know, reproduced on stage, uh, a, a, a matrix or something to be followed to the letter to create some masterpiece. It was it was completely the opposite of that. It was a starting point. It was a, it was a bag of ideas. 
um, and I wanted someone to be feel free to kind of tear it apart if they wanted someone that would be okay with me ultimately having the final word if I wanted it which didn't happen very often at all but he did keep saying it you've got veto power over all of this um I don't think I, I don't think I even used it maybe once I can't remember um but yeah someone that would just gently watch what I was doing and then maybe make suggestions and see you know be a pair of eyes that, that I couldn't be from the outside and also someone that would just just be around and be a laugh and not get caught up in taking it all too seriously um and then field questions and problems from outside agencies because that, that's that's the other thing is you go I can do this myself I can do the show myself but what I can't do myself is a see it from the outside so that you know to make decisions about how it looks and sounds and feels and the other thing I can't give time to is is endless phone calls organizing asking answering people's questions all that stuff so if you have someone else oh it's great <laughs> so I could say Gary going to deal with that um so the perfect person to have around and just a mate who just, you know, supports what you're doing, sees the funny in all of it, um, but isn't afraid to go, I don't think that's funny, or that doesn't really work for me. Fine. Great. Because um, I can I can hear and see what I'm doing, but I can't see it through anyone else's eyes but my own, and I'm in it. You know, I just there's just no way of me stepping out of it. So So you definitely need somebody like that. And I think increasingly as I go along, I think of directors as, and maybe I shouldn't, but as as what we call dramaturgs, which is you know someone who would, someone who would look at a script and kind of make sure that it makes sense, make sure that it has the right through lines, that it's hitting the right beats, um, you know, help to edit it, cut it, rearrange it, maybe. Um, that's my understanding of the word dramaturg, and of course there is a there's a you know age old debate about what this word actually means. So if I've got it wrong in your eyes, please do tell me. But you know the directors I've worked with recently on my own stuff, they become dramaturgs as well. In the, in the absence of, of a budget for a separate dramaturg, which wouldn't we all love? Um, but yeah, Leslie Hart, for example, when we were doing My Name is Sarah, and she just helped me pull this script apart, you know, take it from the bag of ideas that it was, and make it into the show that it became. And you need that person, I think. So if you're thinking about writing or, or putting something on or together, um, I think for me... And this again is not the the final word on it. It's just my own experience. I think you need someone who can be a confidant in that sense, who can read the drafts, who can tell you honestly what state it's in, tell you where you think you need to be pushing. We'll hear you if you say I don't think so, um, but we'll keep giving you suggestions, and then you know we'll look at it from the outside and and tell you if it if it makes any sense, if it's going in the right direction or the or the wrong. Who knows? It's great to have that person. Um, so Gary was that person in this case and he is the perfect person for, for Janice and Frank and this kind of stuff so that was great um, and the rest of it we kept so simple I mean I went through I couldn't tell you how many designers I asked to help with it and I mean for the most part it was probably just too late in the day a lot of people already had gigs um, or were going to be away back you know, back home wherever that was by the time the show went up because it was you know most of the Christmas shows that you would encounter, that you would work on, would be long opened and well into the run by the time we hit 21st of December, whereas that's when we opened. And then we closed the next day. So any designer or set dresser type person would have to be there on the 21st, which wouldn't be the type of thing that any working designer would expect to be doing at Christmas. They would expect to be done, wouldn't they, with their 
portion of the work, probably before December even even appeared. So anyway, we asked many designers and they were all very gracious and all hugely talented and none of them could do it. So as time went on, we realised, well, we're just going to do it ourselves. Now, I don't purport to be a designer. I never have. Um, I don't think Gary does either, but it was a case of we're going to make, uh, tart it up and create a little space on the stage where Janice and Frank can exist. Kind of a, a very simple living room is what we created. Um that could also double as the surgery when Janice was at work. Um, and with a bit of purple light thrown on it, could could triple then as the premiere in, which is where the, the final scene takes place. Um, but it makes you realise, of course, it's not it's not about literally placing it somewhere. Uh, I mean, some in some cases it is, and for some designers it is. But for us it was, um, how do we get a sense of where Frank is sitting? So we have a chair that looks comfortable, that he sits in and he has his coffee by his side and we just that's that's enough i think to give us a sense of here's frank and he's in his his old chair that he always sits in you know um so it's not so much telling people we're in a living room because you know as soon as frank's chatting he's probably at home because he's chatting somebody he knows he's chatting informally sometimes frank, uh, janice is at home and sometimes she's at work in the surgery we can't or we don't need to signify those literally but but what we want to do is create a, a little, hmm, a little kind of subtle sense of them being at home, them being comfortable, I suppose. Um, and I think for a show like this, at a time like this, particularly at Christmas, but also just the time that we are in our, you know, in our world history, it's nice to make it something that feels cosy, inviting, not overly complicated, um, or kind of um, cluttered or. Um, what's the word, kind of busy, you know, quite simple and warm and inviting and so that people aren't asked to kind of figure anything out. We wanted people to come in and just relax and just let the story just come to them, just wash over them, you know, it should be fun. So I suppose in a sense, the way that we set up, you know, the visual element of the space was just how do we not get in the way of this little play? How do we just place these people where they need to be and then get out of the way and let them talk? You know, because that's all it is. Ultimately, it's me sitting, you know, on stage talking. Um, and any other circumstance for another comic, they might just talk as themselves for an hour. It was a one hour show and the way I choose to do it is to dip in and out of these two characters, I suppose. So the design was that, really. And it was a case of finding furniture and we just wandered about Partick going into the the furniture charity shops and stuff like that and then picking up Christmas decorations and lights and stuff like that um, and that was great fun I mean all those elements are great fun when you're working with your mate you know what I mean we just go right okay this lunchtime we're just going to wander about and buy furniture um, and try to explain to people in these shops can we just borrow it could we could we pay a tenner and borrow it and we'll give you it back they don't understand um, so in the end what we did was we bought it all and then returned it anyway so yes, that was the big that was the big design question, and of course, at one point, not of course, but also at one point, we had uh, we had a production assistant on board, and uh, it, that was looking like it was going to be a great addition to our team, someone who was going to be able to field some of that stuff from the outside and keep us cool, and you know, go and grab stuff that we needed, and and you know, deal with little details and script and just lots of things. And then that production assistant who was also working on the panto at Oramore went on as an understudy one day and ended up 
staying on for the whole run. So we kind of we lost him to the panto, and it was so great to know that he got a chance to go on there and do a bunch of shows. What a baptism of fire! Um, but we were sad to lose him, you know. So it never worked out the way we expected it to. But then what does? What does? We just went on each day. We kind of went, okay, what's happening today? You know, what's the latest? Who who do we have? What what's what things have fallen away? What things are still happening? Is the venue still open? What are the government guidelines? You know, it just it just changed so often that we never. I mean, it, it does force you to be kind of present because you you can't get attached to any of the outcomes because they just keep changing. So on one day you go, okay, well, if the building that we're rehearsing in is open and we're not locked down, we're allowed to leave the house. Then today we go to the building and we rehearse the play. And then we'll see what happens tomorrow. And that's kind of how we had to do it. Which is, in one sense, the way that I'm trying to live anyway. But I think often it doesn't come out that way. <laughs> Despite our best efforts. So each day was just taken as it came. And, um, you know, occasionally I would drift into thinking, what if what if it doesn't happen? What if? And we tried to come up with, with alternatives. Could we film it without an audience? Could we make it more like a film where we filmed it in locations for each scene um we tried to get people together to, who would help us do that and we couldn't manage it and of course it was short notice and then just by i guess some some amount of sheer luck we didn't get shut down and we managed to do it so but we did manage to get um someone in to film it uh, as a as a live capture so that we then had three angles um of of a really nice quality um that we could then edit together and the genius pal of mine that is Alan Morgan has edited it together and now we're going to be able to make it available for everybody for free as well which is great it's just great um and increasingly we're going to have to think about those things aren't we I mean most shows I think now that start you know that are new productions have in their thinking in their their um, planning and production something about what are we going to do what's the contingency if we can't do it and also are we going to film it and from how many angles and are we going to release it and are we going to stream it and I think that's just becoming par for the course now um so we did that and I'm glad we did it I'm glad we did it um but I don't know I'm just I know I've said it a million times but I'm just glad it happened I'm glad we managed to do it um so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing the the final cut of it and because then that'll be the first time I've seen it from the outside such a strange thing you know just being in the middle of something all the time, or being inside it all the time. Um, and I'll tell you what I love about it, and I often forget it and then it comes back, is the fact that no one ever questions the fact that I am up there pretending to be this woman who, let's imagine, is about 60. Um, but I'm not dressed as a woman, whatever that is. I'm not I'm not wearing a wig or makeup. Um, I'm not pretending to look any way different than I am. I just I change my mannerisms. And and I speak like this person, um, and we, people just accept it. Um, because why I don't know. Because it's not really important. Um, I I think that would take away from it. So oh, look how much he looks like a woman. That that doesn't really interest me at all. Um, or oh, he doesn't really look like a woman, and that's comical. And that 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 would be more in the realm of the panto dame. There's kind of two schools of thought with the panto dame. I don't know if you're aware, but one is the old-fashioned one, which is here is a bloke who doesn't look like a woman, but who's wearing a dress, and that in itself is comical, or at least it used to be. Um, 
and the more blokey you are and the less sort of feminine or ladylike, the less femme you present, the funnier it's meant to be. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, it's probably on the way out to some degree because we're kind of living in a in a, an age where, you know, um, gender is, is becoming more and more fluid and, and we're aware of the performing of gender anyway in everyday life. People are playing with those ideas um, in a really healthy way, you know, in their day-to-day lives and then in performance and stuff. So it may be that that's, that's changing. I don't know. Um, and the second school of thought is, here's a glamorous drag queen, which, you know, technically if we go historical, is different from a panto dame. A panto dame is not actually a drag queen. Those are different things. But when you get performers like Stanley Baxter or Danny LaRue, they, they made it so that they were glamorous women. They they presented as glamorous women um, playing the part of Widow Twanky or whatever. That's changed things. So anyway, if you're dressed up, you know, as quote unquote a woman and and the laugh is or the comment is either look how much how much he passes, I suppose, or look how much he doesn't pass, then for me it becomes about that and um I'm not really interested in that for Janice. I'm interested in it as a trope for, for Panto and stuff like that, because it's a it's a long standing tradition and, a, and an evolving conversation that we have in in that art form. But for Janice it was about um what it's kinda like what would your ma say? You know, and it's not really important how she looks so much as how she comes across. And I, and when I say how she sounds, I don't even mean like listen how much she sounds like a woman physically. I'm not, again not really that interested. But if the turn of phrase and the kind of um, just the feeling that you get from listening to her makes you think that you're listening to a ma or an auntie, then I feel like then it's working. Then I've done my job. Um, and I suppose the same is true of Frank, like there's no there's no question I'm not a 60 year old man and I don't have the voice to sound like a 60 year old man so it's kind of a game isn't it? But it's what would he, what would your uncle say and how would you feel when you're hearing your uncle say it? And if you hear me say, oh listen it's a hell of a carry on this, you, if you examine it you know that I'm not, I'm not an old man, I don't look like that. But if you get this sense from the way I say it, um, of uh, a feeling of how you feel, a reaction to how you feel when an, uh, when an uncle talks to you, whether that's funny or uncomfortable or whatever, then in that sense I've done my job for that as well. So it just, it constantly amazes me that, that no one's really bothered about the, the physical appearance part. Um, you know, I've got facial hair and I just wore black jeans and whatever. Um, and it just wasn't a concern. And I love that as well because, you know, when you have a really, when you have a fussy costume, and a load of makeup and a load of stuff to deal with. You're, it takes you for me. Like th- I think that's really hard to do with very little dress rehearsal and tech rehearsal time. You know, a week long tech is a great time to get used to the feeling of of a big messy costume, not messy, but a big fussy costume and a load of makeup. But for me, I went from just reading or saying performing this thing in in an empty rehearsal room to doing it on the stage, and and we had about three hours in the venue before we opened. So to add in, can you imagine, like, adding in a dress and <laughs> heels or whatever I would wear, I can't, it would become about that. I'd be worried about tripping over myself. And actually, as it was, I just put my black jeans on and whatever and just just said the lines, just told the story. And I'm so much um, an advocate of that, of tell the story, you know. Start at the beginning and, and, and take us through to the end. And the other stuff is... It depends on the production, but the other stuff is not as maybe as important as we often might be forgiven for thinking that it is. 
Um, certainly for something like we were doing, it's 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 about um, it's really about the words, I think, and about the way they're said. Um, you know, but I mean, because jokes, just for one example, jokes. Some of them are visual, of course, but for the most part, they're about the placement of words and the timing of those words landing. And I don't mean for everyone, I mean for this show. You know, again, like some visual elements, but largely it's about timing and sentence structure. You know what I mean? So if I'm worried about dresses and wigs and all that, I might forget about all that. And that's the, that for a show like this, that's the stuff. That's the central stuff. Tell this story and tell it this way that you've you've found what works best and and find where the laughs are and i will say like i wasn't slavish to the script at all you know i i kept to the sections that i was in so if i'm if i'm just for a crude example back to barbara billy i don't just jump around and put barbara billy in a different part of the show that's where it always goes it's like third from the end or whatever it is um but once i'm in it if I, if I feel something or I think of something, I'll just say, change it, you know, and it's great to be able to do that. But I think one of the real blessings and the reasons that I could do that was because I'm kind of playing to a home crowd. I'm playing to people that, that are already enjoying themselves and they want it to be good. They're already having a good time. Um, they're on side from the very start. So it's just, you know, you, you mess about, you can, you have an opportunity to... to, to expand in all different directions you can get up to all sorts with it because as i say they're just they're already there with you you know and if something doesn't work if i try something and it i think it's funny and it doesn't get a laugh i just move on you know and luckily you get to a point where you know the show well enough that if you go down a wee avenue and it doesn't really work it turns out to be a dead end it's okay you just come back onto the main road and you keep going um so yeah i wasn't slavish to the script despite sitting writing out exact phrasing from my recordings a lot of it then changed and um, it's just about being in that character, isn't it? You inhabit that character, you're in their voice and and you say the next thing that comes and mostly that's what you planned but sometimes it's just a little um, detour and that's okay too. So yeah, so many things to think about. I mean, I do have a little, a little bit of doubt creeping into my head saying, why would anyone want to listen to you talk about this for 40 minutes? And I suppose the truth is, if you've made it this far, that, that was your decision. Um, it does feel a bit egotistical, and I don't mean it to be. Um, but I just thought, well, I have this platform, you know, and why not use it to to unpack a wee bit of what's been going on? Um, so as I say, I, I want to do that a bit more. I want to just just see where this show goes organically. I mean, we're, into, we're well into our fifth year now, so... We'll see what happens. We applied for some funding. We didn't get it. So I do feel extremely free about it. Just see see what happens. I'll try and, you know, as much as I can do, do a show every week. But I think sometimes I'll have a guess and sometimes I won't. And I'm just, like I was talking about with the script, to not be too slavish to the notion that I have in my head of what this show needs to be. Um, just to let it be whatever it's going to be is the idea. Um so yeah, thanks very much for listening to this. I hope that you'll make sure that you're following us on social media as well because we could use your follow and you could share then and let people know that you're listening to the show. Tell your friends about it. Uh, we're on Pod, P-I-T-C-C-P-O-D on Instagram and Twitter and you can just search Putting It Together on Facebook. 
Now, if you'd like to support the show, which is completely free and unfunded, then you can go to the main website, which is puttingittogethercast.com and click on the yellow donate button. That's puttingittogethercast.com and click on donate. It's dead easy done. And I've got to say a huge thanks to those people who've donated, particularly recently because we've had a little surge in donations. Um, People that have contacted me and said, you know, I've listened to the show for ages and I suddenly felt, I heard you saying it and I felt... I should make a wee contribution, and I really, really do appreciate it. Um, most of that gets spent on, on a bit of help that I get to to keep the show going on a technical basis. Um, and, you know, anything else in the future would, in theory, would, would pay me a wee bit for my time. And we haven't quite reached that point yet, but we still are ambitious that we might. But in the meantime, people, I work for free and do it for free. So consider, if you will... Uh, making a wee contribution to keep the show going and I will keep it going for you for free and if you can't afford to contribute please don't worry about it just keep listening that's more important I want your time more than I want your money so have a wee listen and dig back into the archives this by the way is episode number 242 there's loads of episodes and if you fancy a wee bit of Christmas cheer you can go back to last year this time last year we did a Christmas panto and the time the year before that around the same time we did a Christmas panto and you'll probably be able to hear a marked difference in quality <laughs> the first one was kind of improvised on the day and recorded in one room in largely one take and the songs were made up on the day as well the second one a bit more time taken over it still a mad rush uh, but both containing a huge amount of talent and buckets of fun um, so I hope you'll have a wee listen if you haven't already or maybe a wee re-listen because uh, they are fun and apart from that it just remains for me to, to wish you well and hope that you're doing well Hope you've had a, a nice, peaceful Christmas and um, that the new year brings everything you hope. Um, and if you have any, uh, what's the word, not ambitions, what do they call them? Resolutions. Um, that you make them for all the right reasons and that you're able to stick to them as much as they are useful to you. Uh, and until next week, when I'll bring you a new episode and goodness knows what the content of it will be, but please come back and find out. I'll just say what I always say. Cheerio now. <laughs>